Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, welcome back to Ausbiz. I'm David Kosh and we are streaming to you live from our Barangaroo studios in the financial heart of Sydney. Of course, it's just gone midday Eastern and that means it is time for the call. 10 stocks that you suggest two experts to give their opinion in 60 minutes. Nathan, good to see you. Nice to Welcome, good weekend. Uh, it was a great weekend. Um, I have to admit, it's uh, things are opening up and people are running around. You've yeah. never seen so many people jogging around the parks nowadays. Yeah, so, exactly. So no, it's nice weather. It was yeah, good. Yeah, it's fabulous. And uh, Gaurav, what about you? Well, it took me a few hours to realize it was Saturday, but um, after <laughs> I the weekend, it was fun. It all sort of, they do all blend into each other at the moment, don't they? It's amazing. All right, as I say, you're watching, watching the call, 10 stocks, 60 minutes, two experts. Let's get right into it. And Gaurav, let's start with you um, with, uh, with Zip Co, Financial Services Group, bid in the buy now, pay later, and a lot of other financial options as well, don't they? Yeah, look, this is one we've never really been involved with and I've never taken a deep dive into Zipco. And most of the reason for that is because the enormous success of Afterpay has just meant this has become a bit of a me too stock. A lot of analysts and fund managers and investors are into this because it looks like a mini Afterpay. and. Mm. Those sort of that sort of psychology is not really uh, it's, it's it's not great ground um, for good future investment in my view. Um, you really want to try and buy something when it's unloved or unpopular or there's some sort of dislocation that might create a mispricing. I don't think any of those factors are in play with this particular business. It's only been around for a, a couple of years. I mean, it's been a roaring success. Looking at the the revenue line, it's gone from sort of zero to three hundred million in five years which is an astonishing achievement but it's very richly priced you're talking more than 10 times revenue for a business that whose model has not been tested in any sort of downturn which faces plenty of competition um so this is just a a, a no for me but that, that, a lot of that has to do with style and i'm sure there'll be other investors for whom this sort of thing is much more attractive yeah yeah it's a it's an interesting run uh mate i actually uh, ended up investing it because I was a seed investor in Pocketbook. Okay. Pocketbook Went bought through, yeah. Zip and sort of paid with, with shares, so it gave me a bit of an exit. But <clears throat> it, it has been, and ever since I exited, I've been following it and sort of kicking myself because at share price, as Gaurav was saying, um, it does get a bit of a run and it's seen as a bit of an afterpay mirror, baby afterpay, if you like. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a thematic play. Um, yeah. Most of these stocks are, and Grav's right, this, is, this would be something that Grav, it would hurt him to look at uh, ah. because it is not a value <laughs> stock. You're buying something like, you know, three, four year growth story that has yep. to deliver for about four or five years to get to a normal multiple. Yep. Um, you know, Afterpay is a similar kind of play. Um, they've got a, I, I guess they went first. 
uh, and they have a bit more of a global play where Zip is probably can't come in second, but Zip probably has a better um, credit control yep. in who they give money to, where Afterpay probably doesn't as much. Um, and that's probably at some point will feel regulatory uh, pressure. Uh, that's been on the edges for a while for the whole sector. And on top of that, um, you've got the problem as Gaurav uh, you know, eloquently put, the fact that when the economy turns south, these models have not been tested. And if you look at what we were saying just before in the fact that you need three to four years of perfect execution, perfect growth to make that company into a normal multiple yeah. company, yeah. all you need is one bad economic cycle and the whole thing gets thrown out the door. Right. And that's the problem for both, basically the whole sector. Yep. Uh, look, I, I think it's not as fancily priced as it was before, uh, but it is not one that I would jump on that whole sector mm. where once you have this word recession being played out, mm. we are in recession, US is in recession. Yeah. Uh, we just haven't realized it yet, but that'll come through. Uh, the question is how quickly do we get out? Um, and that's the big macro risk. And, and this is not a sector where, yes, revenue is growing quite a bit, but the margins are getting squeezed. Right. Um, so as more and more players come in, as Gaurav put, more and more pressure on the margins, people will compete. Overall, retail sales are falling, which means their pie is getting smaller. Yeah. Although getting online retail doing it. It right. is going better, but it's on an overall basis. If you look at the rising unemployment, which is not going to come back in the next six to 12 months, it's still yeah. going to be much higher than what it was in the last 12, 12 months. You have to think most of these guys are going to find it a lot harder to deliver the numbers that they've done previously. And because these things are trading at these high multiples, they need yeah. to continue to grow at a dramatic rate just to make the numbers add up. Yeah. So the risk is if that may, it goes down. David? Sorry? Um, if, if I may, um, yeah. the actual, the success of the model of these buy now, pay later businesses, the, the success is leading to their, their model being undermined mm. because there is now so much competition. There are so many new players looking to be the next afterpay. And there's actually very few barriers to entry. The cost for a merchant of adding yet another payment option is actually very small and only a few of these are going to succeed and the ones that do succeed aren't necessarily going to be uh, tech companies. The the ones that succeed are going to be the best marketers because what you need to do mm. is get front into your customer's mind. Not the, That's the hard part. Getting, in, getting the merchant to offer your services is not difficult. It's in the merchant's interest to offer as many options as possible, but getting into your customer's head to become the default, that's really hard. And right. so the, how these companies market themselves in the future is going to be hard, is going to be really important. And it's just really difficult to pick a winner. You'd, you'd have to say that because we use terms like I'm going to afterpay it, afterpay is already leaps ahead in terms of mind share. And it's going to be difficult to compete with. All right. Uh, Zip is our first stock. Second one, Handsome Technologies. Goraba a billing sort of customer service data management software business. What do you think of Hanson? We've owned Hanson in the past and owned it for, for seven years until quite recently, actually. Um, it, it's a high quality little business. Um, the software is is absolutely critical to customers because it deals with um, collecting information and then sending out bills to help generate um, revenue. Um, so it's at the very front line of helping businesses survive. And for that reason, customers tend to be extremely sticky. But the other side of having very sticky customers is that it's really difficult to collect new customers. Because just as Hansen's customers are well embedded with Hansen technology, 
Um, Hanson's competitors have customers embedded with their technology, and so there's not a lot of churn in this industry. And that means for Hanson to grow, it really has to acquire, uh, and that's where it's been doing. It's been on a bit of an acquisition spree, acquiring lots of different businesses all over the world. It's done that actually quite successfully, and that doesn't really bother me too much. Um, there's a founder who owns a big chunk of that business who oversees CapEx, and he's done a very good job of allocating capital, and they've made good acquisitions. They're sitting on probably a bit too much debt than I would like at this stage of the cycle. And I, th I think a risk that we haven't seen yet is, is lots of its customers starting to go bust. Um, its competitor is, a big competitor is Gentrack, which is a also an ASX listed business. And they're quite large in the UK and, and about half a dozen of their customers in the UK have actually gone bust. And so you can have a wonderful model with very sticky customers, but your business actually depends on the health of those customers and mm. a cyclical downturn like we're having now, it's bad for everyone. So I'd just be a bit wary of this. I think the price is okay. It's just a hold for me, but at cheaper prices, this is actually a nice business, but I'd, I'd want it around that 220 mark. Okay. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting one. I have to agree on uh, most things there with Gaurav. Uh, it is a good business, but it's seen a lot of problems. It's in a bad cycle. Um, it has had multiple multi years of downgrades. It hasn't been one of the ones that's been spot free. Yeah. So when you're going into a tech stock, and people tend to consider this as one of the tech stocks, this is probably not in your top ten. Right. And that's that's where I think the most you know you want to be in a sector thematic because it's ha had no bounce back, has it? No, it after, hasn't. After it the pullback of the market, it's just bubbled yeah. along the bottom. Um, and and people will look at Gentrack as uh, uh, Gaurav mentioned and the problems they've had, and you yeah. you tend to look at those things and say, okay, when, once one person catches a call, it's going to spread through the sector. Right. Um, so reality is people will be cautious, and this is this hasn't been the perfect execution for the last couple of years. So I just think the risk return is just not there. There's a okay. lot of better high quality stocks in the tech sector. All right, avoid Hanson. Um, according to Matham, Gorab says around 220, maybe worth a look. Um, still in the tech space, sort of tech space, but at the other end of the field, um, Matham Computer Share. Big yeah. Aussie company. It's look. It's one of those ones where you go. It's so big. You've got to look at it, and you you know when you get beaten up. You've got to keep an eye on it because those are the ones where you can make easy gains because they're high quality, yep. big businesses. The only problem with these guys is they tend to, it's a bit of a, I suppose, a business that benefits from holding your cash. There's a lot of cap raising playing out, which should be positive for them. Um, there is a lot of trading going through the, uh, and, you know, IPOs, which probably will struggle over the next 12 months. Yep. Now, the big play for me is it's about the yield. You need a higher yield for these guys to do better. Um, so in that context, you know, we're at historical low yields. Um, you know, you, you look at the U.S. 10-year bond yields, it's at, you know, yep. all-time lows. So in that context, I think it'll be tough for them going forward. Um, but look, it is one of those ones where when the market really goes stupid and throws everything out, it's one to buy because it's going to be around in, in a few years' time. Um, but in the short term, I think it's probably not going to do a lot. Right. And if the market does have a bit of a run, which I doubt, um, it'll probably miss out. And if it falls, it'll fall with the market. So in context, I don't see the benefit of having computer share in this cycle. Okay. Um, Gaurav, as Maitham was saying, with all these raisings going on at the moment, it's got its work cut out because it, it runs all the share registries, doesn't it, of, uh, of our major listed companies? 
Yeah, ComputerShare is actually the world's largest um, share registry, and that is a wonderful business share registry because it's a low cost but high annoyance and high risk category. So it requires a specialist, and companies are willing to pay a little bit more to make sure that function is done reliably and accurately. So historically, this has been a really high quality, well performing business. I think those days are behind it, though. Um, there's a general consensus and I think a nostalgia for a high-quality computer share. I don't think this is as high-quality as it used to be. A couple of years ago, it started to move into the mortgage services area, and that's 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 um, now being its largest source of growth, but also an increasingly large part of the company as a whole. And that is just not as strong a business as share registry is. And I think every year this company actually gets less competitive, um, the quality suffers, and yet in people's minds it remains the computer share of your. I don't think this is, I, we no longer classify this as a high quality business. For me, this is merely an average quality business and we've sold it from our portfolios and, and I, I don't think it deserves the multiples it once did. This is fairly valued for mine and when you come across fairly valued average businesses, you, you sell them. So this is a sell for me. Okay. All right. Gaurav's saying um, fairly valued um, going forward, but... Um... Yeah, it's, I, th- I just think it's it's not sexy enough in this kind of market. You've had a right. pullback. You've got a really good opportunity to pick good quality businesses that's going to be in the new world right. do well. I don't right. think computer share is going to be the one that flies. So. Okay. All right. Gaurav, don't take offence at that. Uh, Maiden saying you're not sexy enough or you don't <laughs> like sexy things. Well, <laughs> let that buy. Uh, that was a, a, a quick uppercut there under the um, under the guys. Well done, Nathan. I like that one. All right. Um, so, computer share a, a mixed bag um, from the um, from the panel. Nathan, um, what about Service Stream? Another sort of techie type of business, a network services company. Would you call it a, a sort of telco, a bend towards telcos, and had a big increase in revenue in February? Yeah, they've actually they are a bend towards telco. They're telco services, yeah. Um, yeah, and but they've also added recently a bit more infrastructure work. Uh, this is a very high quality management, really high quality business. I'm a big fan. Mm. Um, look, we we were in it on our models till it got to about three bucks. Um, and it ran a bit too much. Uh, you know, people always fall in love with some stocks and, you know, we look at the numbers and it ran a bit too much and now it's pulled back. I think it's around 180 odd. Yeah. Uh, look, I, I think it's a good quality business. I think it'll do well in the new world. Um, it's probably one that's, uh, again, it's not the massive growth story, but it's one of those small caps where you go, you know, it's a great management, good macro you back these guys to deliver and should be trading at a higher multiple when things you know, revert to normalization. Okay. So at a dollar eighty five, is that a Yeah, I think it's a it's a, a good, good buy, buy there. I think it it's probably somewhere in the mid two dollars. That's what I'd say it's worthwhile because it right. should be on a premium. It's a good quality business. Okay. All right. Uh, a tick from um, uh, from Nathan there on uh, on Service Stream. Uh, Gaurav, what do you think of um, of Service Stream? This is actually quite a tricky one. Um, it screens really well. So it's a reasonable PE. The yield is really attractive. It's a really cash generative business. So the cash flows are really good. The free cash flow is actually um, very strong. Um, so it ticks a lot of boxes here. But you look at the history of this business and it almost went bankrupt um, 
of what, five, six years ago, maybe a bit longer than that. Um, and I think the quality of the management has disguised um, the inferior quality of the business. Or another way to put that is, is great quality management um, makes the business look better than it really is. Uh, there are two parts of this business. It's really, um, it, it puts gear together for the, for the telco industry. So it's currently doing a lot of work for the NBN, but it also puts together um, installations for 5G networks. It's also a infrastructure utility side. Um, that sounds very good and it is stable work, but it's not particularly um, high margin or high returning work. And it has been because utilizations have been really high. And that's because we've got this huge um, NBN that's being stitched together um, largely by Service Stream and one other competitor, BSA. Those two companies are doing the bulk of the work for the entire NBN and it's keeping utilizations high. And I think it's flattering the economics of the entire business. But the NBN is about 80% complete now and that work will fall away. And I think that's when um, the true economics of this business really come out. And we then have to grapple with, well, what's going to replace those NBN revenues? And I think it's going to be difficult. Um, it's not a bad business. I, I just think it's not as great as it looks. Um, and it's fortunate to have um, high quality management. In general, we don't tend to, to go after business, poor quality businesses or average quality businesses that have excellent management. Management changes and they move on and you can't really bank on that. One company as an alternative to this one might be something um, like uh, Opticom. Opticom is a different business to this. Um, this whereas this, this company um, stitches together uh, telecommunication networks, um, Opticom actually owns the underlying fiber optics um, for new developments. So in estates and in um, apartment blocks, uh, they actually own the fiber network. And that's a monopoly asset on which Opticom earns monthly um, rentals for years and decades to come. So I think that is the, the part of the value chain where you want to be. You want to be the owner of the underlying infrastructure, not necessarily the service guy who puts it all together once or, or services it when something goes wrong. The margins and the returns are far better as an infrastructure owner. So I would, I mean, we do own Opticom. I think that's a much better business and it looks more expensive but the quality more than makes up for the price. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I've looked at that uh, actually recently. Uh, funny that uh, Gaurav mentioned that one. Yeah, it's actually a pretty good business. I think it's, but it's a recent flood. I think it's only about a year's history for right. what I can yeah, remember. Totally yeah, so it's, you know, I'm a numbers guy. It's hard to do a lot of those right. things. Yeah. I tend to trust no one. So, um, you know, I like to have a bit of history to play with. So, but it does look pretty interesting. Um, I look, I think he's right on Service Stream being um, not the greatest business. Uh, as I said, it's not a high growth business, yeah. but I have to admit, I, I'm always amazed at how well management can execute. Right. And even mm. when they bought that infrastructure business, um, I was actually one of those people that looked and said, why are they buying something completely different to what they've done in the past? And yeah. you know, mm. we tend to uh, you know, look yeah. at that as a risk and we got out, but you know, then you wait for the next set of results, solid. Right. And okay. so it's it's been but the one wind those... back have wind down of the NBN. Well, that uh, yeah. Look, I, I don't actually. I'm I'm on the other side of that uh, because I don't think I think the NBN's got a lot of problems. Um, I think they'll have do a lot more upgrades. I think the future is about technology and being connected. Um, I think if anything we've learned from the coronavirus issue is we need to have a bloody good infrastructure to yeah. support all of this. And the future is not about um, you know having a cost saving on the NBN. You want to have the top of the line. And I think inevitably. 
um, they will upgrade and there will be a lot more done. And we are we normally lag the rest of the world probably five to ten years in technology. Yeah. So the infrastructure has a lot more to go, and I right. think there's a lot more upgrades to do. And okay. Service Stream's the best player. All right. Okay, let's move on to our fifth stock, Coca-Cola Amatil, largest bottler of non-alcoholic beverages in Asia-Pacific. Uh, Gaurav, what do you think of CC Amatil? Yeah, here's another company that, um, well, it follows some of the themes we've already talked about. I think most people will assume that Coca-Cola Amatil is a high-quality business because it's returned quite reasonably well historically, and everyone knows that Coke is a quality business, right? So the positive glow tends to rub off on these bottling operations all around the world. But I don't think this is a high quality business at all. And I think it's actually been getting weaker and getting worse. Um, when you break down these numbers, in aggregate, everything actually looks reasonably well. It's been pretty flat and steady. The returns look, um, look quite good. Uh, when you break down the return on equity, uh, it, it's clear that um, returns have been juiced up by taking on additional debt. So the, the ROE has ridden, risen from 16 to, what, 24% or so. And a lot of that is simply just leverage, just they've taken on more debt. Um, and when you break down the revenues uh, and even the earnings um, by geography, the Australian earnings, which is the bulk, the vast bulk of this operation, has fallen by 20% of the last five years. So the, the biggest part of this business is actually in decline. And I think we all instinctively know that. That um, I mean, Nathan is a great uh, character test here because no one drinks more sugary drinks than Nathan. He turns tea into a sugary drink. <laughs> he knows me too well. Yeah. <laughs> so we only have to look as far as um, you know, the person sitting next to you to realize that people just aren't drinking as much as they used to. The supermarkets are pulling the, uh, the, the, the um, squeezing um, suppliers. Um, the, the numbers have held up because the Papua New Guinean and Indonesian operations have done relatively well, but those are not like having a big stable base in Australia. So I think the, this has actually become far more riskier. The balance sheet is more leveraged. The operations have actually switched around and changed. So its, it's focus now is on developing countries. I just think this makes it a far more riskier business. This deserves a low multiple, and it's sitting on a reasonable one now. I still think this is a sell. Yeah, and if you just look at so its one-year chart, Nathan, it pulled back with the rest of the market, then had a bit of a, a lift, and now is basically testing the lows. Yeah, of, uh, they gave her an update recently and yeah. downgraded expectations. Um, as much as uh, I like to have a go at Gaurav, uh, no, it's, it's you not. You can't argue yeah, with you it. Can't. It, it, it is, it's not high quality business, um, but I have to give the CEO massive credit uh, because when she came in, it was a basket case. It's less yep. of a basket case now. Right. Um, it's still you know, challenged, yep. but she's done a phenomenal job turning the business around for what it is. Um, it's, I think, I think I learned this from Gaurav. I think it's like a decade of falling volumes mm. um, and they still you know, keep turning it around. So that's, it's, it's done quite well for what it is. Um, the biggest problem for them right now is when you have lockdowns, your uh, pubs and your cafes and all of them are shut down. Yep. That's where they sell a lot of their volume. Um, as a Coke drink addict, um, I still buy plenty, but you know <laughs> the natural um, tendency when you go out to eat or you go to the pub or whatever, you tend to have drinks. Yep. And Coke used to sell through that quite a bit. Yep. And those volumes have completely disappeared. So 
Is that going to suddenly open up? I don't think things will open up at least till into September for pubs and so forth. So in that context, that's still going to leave a, a decent ditch. So I'd expect the multiples are probably too generous at this point. Um, I think I saw the downgrades come through. I actually like the management, so I like to buy a cheap stock with good management. But you know, in this one, I think it'll probably go even yeah. lower. I think you're probably looking at something with a six or an early $7 before you jump in. Wow. And okay, uh, good wrap on the management and the chief executive. What does she need to do to turn it round? Uh, she, by the sound, the, the way you both described it to me was a cop case, still a bit of a cop case, but she's done a fantastic job yes. sort of plugging the leaks yeah. and steadying the ship. Yeah. So solid base now. She needs to find multiple, yeah. some other revenue brands to get in and spread okay. the risk. Uh, because, the because Gaurav, they, they own Mount Franklin. That gave them for a while a bit of a kick. Do they need something new like that again? Um, well, I think that that core argument is right, is that the dependence on Coke has to fall away and it has to be replaced by um, new categories and, and new brands. But they've been doing that for some time. So this is... I mean, she hasn't really um, come up with that idea. That's been happening for some time. I mean, I also think this is a very competent management um, as well. But it, we can we need to be careful not to confuse competence with genius. You know, um, she is competent. I don't think this is an extraordinary management team. I I wouldn't give them props um, for being better than than average. You know, um, I think what makes her look really good is that previous management was just terrible. They were they presided over a decade of falling volumes and every year tried to um, try to fix falling volumes by raising prices every year. Um, and that only changed um, because Woolies and Coles just stopped stocking them and they gave them um, poor, poor shelf space. I think Woolies, um, there was a time when Woolies, you could not buy, buy Coke at Woolies because they refused to carry them with that sticker price. Tip there. Uh, we learned before the show that uh, Gaurav used to be a pretty good, uh, pretty good boxer. So I think that was a huge left hook to CC Amateur coming from Gaurav there from a financial point of view, uh, not leaving us in uh, in any doubt. Um, yep, competent management, but let's not mistake it for genius. All right, uh, that's five, five stocks down. That's why I love doing the call with these two blokes. Um, it's a lot of fun and they're straight shooters. Uh, for, let's give a recap of the first five stocks. No from both of them for a zip. Uh, no for Hanson, although Gaurav may be enticed around 220. Uh, computer share mixed again. Gaurav says it's fair value. Uh, Mathan saying no. Uh, server stream. Mathan likes server stream. Uh, Gaurav uh, doesn't like him at all and uh, a no to CC Amatil. Uh, fair summation, chaps, yeah. I think, on, it, on the first five stocks. Let's kick off with uh, the second half of the call now and uh, with Orica and Gaurav, one of the, the largest sort of explosive manufacturers in the world, aren't they, into blasting and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, when we've talked about a few businesses that, um, that I think people think are better than they actually are, I think here's an example of a business that is probably better than the numbers suggest and that typical imagination suggests. Um, so, you know, every every miner in the world has to uh, blast ore. Um, you get to the ore body by blasting um, rock apart. 
And that is a, actually a really complex um, and uh, intricate operation, explosives. It's, it's not just packing dynamite under a rock and running for cover. Um, a lot of the risk, a lot of the regulatory risk, um, and a lot of the, uh, but, but not much of the cost is associated with explosives. And that's a great dynamic, dynamic when a relatively inexpensive activity is responsible for a large proportion of your risk and it must be done well. That's the kind of dynamic that confers pricing power and excess returns. And Orica is capable of both. Um, the reason it hasn't really turned up in its share price, and I should say that Orica, over most of its history, has been a superior business. It's really over the last, say, five to eight years, it's done pretty poorly. Part of that is because they made a disastrous acquisition um, uh, a little while ago, and they basically had to write off a billion dollars, and they've been recovering through that. Um, and the other part is that um, globally, the, the most material moved in mining comes from thermal coal. And we all know what's been happening to thermal coal. Um, Orica has to find itself um, new commodity exposures. And it's been doing that. It's made a few acquisitions that look quite interesting. I think, um, again, management is competent. Um, I should say, actually, on the, on, on the subject of management, we should expect competent management. I, I think there's sometimes a tendency for invest, investors to be shocked when management actually does its job. Look, pardon the pun, but this does, you know, has a history of blowing up. Right. Uh, but have to give it to management from about ooh, end of 2018. Um, that looked like the end of the, um, I suppose, the problem child turning around and actually starting to deliver. Um, and I think it had a pretty good run last year. Uh, it turned up on our numbers. It's been the best in the chemical sector by far. Um, and I still think that's done quite well. It's been beaten up because a lot of the capex in most of the major miners have fallen over a cliff, uh, which you would expect yeah. in this kind yeah. of environment. I have to say, the miners are managing themselves as well as they have ever done. And they are actually pulling back capex in tough times and managing the supply demand side of things. Um, so, look, Orica will come back. It's one of those ones where I think it's got a pretty decent management. It's actually turned it around. It doesn't seem to be having the problems that you used to have in the years before. Um, I'd say it's it's one to back. Uh, I'm positive buying here, but I, mean, I think my overall view is the market's going to have a pullback and, right. and Orica will come back with that and that's when you buy. So, buy, buy on the pullback. Yeah, I'm positive on Orica. Right. All right, our next stock is, uh, is Treasury Wine owns some stunning wine brands. Um, does it return to shareholders? Uh, wait for Nathan? wait for Gaurav to unleash. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, well, look, you, can, a, you can be the entree. Uh, look, it's uh, my subtle, uh, uh, sort of simpler approach to it is it's got one good brand, lots of other useless brands, and they're trying to build some other brands. Right. Uh, Treasury Wine's got Penfalls. It's a, it's a solid brand. But the problem is they always find problems. Their big markets are in the US and in China, in China. Yep. and they always run into overstock and they have always run into some kind of problems over the last two to three years. I just don't trust the track record and it's not a cheap stock. It's always expensive. Yep. And so when it goes wrong, it can fall 30, 40% very quickly. Um, so it's where it's a risk return for me. It's a food stock. It's a high growth stock. Management track record at best is patchy. Yeah. So for me, it's not where I would be willing to take the risk return. It right. just doesn't have the upside for me. Uh, the growth, you really want to see one. You want to see US doing really well, China doing really well. 
in an environment where consumer spending, recession worries, these kind of things are playing out, this is a high-end uh, product, I don't uh, think I want to take the risk. Okay. Uh, Gaurav, are you a fan? <laughs> well, um, in, in the years gone by when this was a, you know, a high $20 stock, I think even a $30 stock at, at one point, um, you know, I, I've been scathing about um, Treasury because I, I think it's always been a cyclical business dressed up as a growth business. And the, you know, when, you, when, when um, economy, economic times are really good, uh, people buy high-priced wines. Um, even cheapskates like me buy high-priced wines when um, times are good and the market's up and, and all of that. And it's one of the first things to get chopped in difficult times. It's, it's like the, the marketing of, of households. Um, uh, you know, it's the first item on the, on the household budget to get chopped is the premium wines. And um, Treasury has gone um, strategically and very uh, wholesomely into that premium wine market. It's actually sold a fair bit of its lower end wine labels. And it and it depends a lot on penfolds. That's true. It is it is largely a penfolds um, business, but there's also other um, high quality, high end wines in there. Um, I, I think there's nothing really wrong with the business, but we need to recognise that it is a cyclical one and not not one with secular growth. And it's also incredibly competitive. I don't know if you know when you go into um, Dan Murphy's or something, there, there are just mountainous volumes of brands, and you're often competing with hobbyists and people who are doing wine as a lifestyle um, and, and not necessarily in, in it for the profit. So it's very difficult to eke out long-term returns on good returns on capital in this business. Um, management, I think, are actually quite good, but they need to be to make a go of a business like this because it really has very poor economics. Um, so we've never really been interested in this and it would take an extremely cheap price uh, for me to change that. Oh, okay, so well, it's it's bubbling along the bottom as well. What's what's an indicative price you'd be interested in? I think it needs to be um, sort of less than six dollars or so right. for me to take okay. another look. But Nathan, why why is there all this talk of hiving off penfolds? Yes, yeah, so have, you know, if it, if it's the jewel in the crown of treasury, why would you want to get rid of it? Because you want the market to be interested in you. The problem at the moment is most of the you know, investment market is not looking at treasury one because of the problems they've had. Right. And the uncertainty with the US economy and the Chinese economy is probably not at the top end of the list. I mean, if you look at high-end brands doing really well with branding, I mean, at the end of the day, branding is important. You look at baby milk powders, A2 milk, yep. top of the range, and they've done everything right. Uh, whether you believe it or not, they've done what they're supposed to do and their marketing has done really well. But Treasury Wine, they've had operational issues and they're getting on the wrong end of this trade. So right. you'd be selling Treasury Wine and buying A2 milk all day, which has worked for you for right. years. So that's the problem they're running into. Um, so to get investors to look at you, um, you start saying, oh, look, if I, okay. you know, I, if I can have good treasury wine and bad treasury wine. So everyone will sit there and go, oh, I'll go into this, I'll keep the good one and I'll sell the bad ones. Right. Gee, that always works. So, <laughs> and then they flagged it that they're gonna look at it at the end of next year, I think. So they can talk about it for about a year and a half without actually doing anything and they could always pull back. So right. it's a nice way to keep the attention on you. Okay, all right. Um, our eighth stock today, um, one that we've looked at on the call, not with you guys, I don't think, for. Uh, but about two or three weeks ago, uh, Nathan, Freedom Food. Yeah, look, the food sector is really interesting for me um, because 
I think if you look at what's happened overall in major economies, um, the capex cycle has been very weak in everything, including food. Um, so people are not spending a lot, and you've got uh, food coming from different countries across borders. Yeah. So when you've got lockdowns and regulatory risks attached to things, there's always a supply side issue with food. So just like mining, uh, there's a food um, supply side shock that could happen in a number of areas. So that's why I like the food thematic. Um, and also the biggest thing that everyone's got going for them is when things get tough, everyone throws money at consumers to get consumers to buy things. Yeah. So consumers tend to buy food first, as we found in the lockdown, a lot more than anything else. So yeah. that's the upside. Um, and the, the downside is there's a lot of food products that have traded at pretty high multiples um, with, you know, I guess you've got the supply side, which is weather related risk. Yep. and the packaging and so forth and the market. So if people are not buying stuff and you're producing something that's charged at very high margin, very high uh, cost base, then you're in trouble when there's no demand for it. And I think that's part of the reason a lot of these guys have had. Freedom Foods had issues beforehand. It's in a mm. multi-downgrade. So it's not like it's the first time. Um, but it's, it, is, it is one of those things that it's a bit like Costa Group. You know, it separates the market. There's part of the people who really love it yep. and they think it'll always come back and they fall in love. And then the other half of the market's a bit like me looking at the numbers going, no, they haven't. They haven't delivered what they said and it's a multiple that's pretty high and it keeps going lower. Um, So that's where I am with that one. Um, It's just too hard. There's winners and losers. I tend to back the winners who are delivering and Freedom Food is not in that group. Okay, so it's in that ag group that you talked about before with A2 and Barbs and all of that. Yeah, Uh, Gaurav? Um, You know, Freedom Food used to own a big stake in A2 Milk, and they actually sold that stake at 77 cents a share. Um, <laughs> if they had held the, that stake in A2 Milk, today that stake would be worth more than the entire market cap of Freedom Food. Wow. And I think that tells you a lot about this business and the model of this business. This is a very asset-heavy food processor. Um, it has a few brands attached to it, but this is not really where one makes excess returns. Um, the, the A2 milks, which are sort of brands and marketing, that's where wonderful returns are made in food. And part of that reason is because food is just so fatty. It's, it's a very fad-driven um, um, uh, part of the, the consumer market that tends to change a lot. And when you're spending, and, and Freedom Food has in fact spent $500 million over the last few years tooling factories, getting production up and going, when you're spending half a billion dollars on production, all of a sudden consumer tastes change, you're then kind of left holding this idle capacity and you have to go back and retool and raise capital and do it all over again. They're still, even after all the factories are built, they're still consuming you know, over $100 million in capex every year. And that's what happens when you own a whole heap of assets in a in a faddish industry uh, this has a great story attached to it a lot of brokers and investors love freedom foods yep i just don't see the attraction i, I think management has done a wonderful marketing job here and um if only the brands had done as good a job as management has done on the market okay. it's a sell for me this is, this is not a good business at all all right, all right let's go from uh, food back to resources and uh, uh gorab you century resources well they are sort of a zinc miner, aren't they? Yeah, the, the Century Mine is a famous one in mining circles. Yep. It used to be one of the largest zinc mines in the world. 
Um, but that was about 20 years ago, and it's actually been shut down since about 2015. It's gone through a past the parcel of owners. Um, everyone from, I mean, Paz Minko made a fortune from it, um, and then went bust and made another fortune from it. Um, and then Oz Minerals owned it and sold it to the Chinese, and the Chinese actually closed it down in 2015. And this business has popped up to reprocess the tailings of that business. So the tailings are the, are the bits, the waste materials that the yep, other miners so didn't. the junk is that, yep. That's right. So you have to understand that this is already uh, what you're, you're not really dealing with a miner here. It's really a processing, um, a processing business that's dealing with sort of low grade waste. Um, they've made it economic because they're actually um, using hydraulic mining, which is just sort of turning rocks into slurry and then processing slurry. So it's, it's rather innovative that way. I've never seen a hydraulic operation at this scale before anywhere in the world. So that's, it, I mean, that, that's interesting, I think. But the economics here look particularly poor, I have to say. Um, I, there's no way I, I, I would put money to this. If you, if you want a zinc um, exposure, then um, you know, there are other companies. The Independence Group has a little bit of zinc. Zinc is hard because it's often a byproduct of other things. Um, but I, I wouldn't call this um, very investable. I would stay clear of this. It's interesting to note that Independence Group, who is a, a high quality, um, highly regarded um, miner in the area, They've taken a 20% stake of this, and I can't really figure out why that is. I, I guess they must like the exploration package, but there's also a bit of infrastructure attached to this business. They own um, um, some crushing equi equipment, um, a fleet of trucks, and a port. So maybe maybe there's something there as well. But as an exposure to zinc, um, I, I, I don't think this is uh, investable, really. Okay. And you're just looking at share price, um, Nathan, from, what, sixty down to 17 cents. Uh, over the last two or three years. Yeah, you just got to look at the zinc prices. Um, zinc is probably on the uh, metals from memory. It's in the last three months, it's the third worst metal. Right. Okay. And most of them have underperformed. Yeah. Um, apart from gold, everything else is underperformed. Um, yeah, it's it's just, for me, it's a simple argument of, well, why are you buying a, a stock that's main commodity is underperforming? Yep. Um, so I'm out for that. Uh, but uh, as Gaurav said, independence, that's a high quality business in that sector. They got gold exposure, nickel, zinc. They've got a few things going for them. Um, it is one that tends to do relatively well when commodities start to turn. Um, everyone is expecting China to do stimulus. Oh. They haven't they? Ha they are doing enough to keep the economy going. But they haven't thrown the kitchen sink at it yet. When it does happen, you would start to see uh, commodities move, especially the base metals, and a lot of these guys will benefit out of that. Unfortunately, that hasn't happened yet. Um, so. Going early hasn't paid off because a number yep. of people jumped in, got hit, jumped in, got hit. So I'm one of those people, I wait for the data and the data hasn't turned. Right. So okay. there's no need to be. Right. The, other important, the other important thing to mention here is that this is a business whose market cap is, what, $120, $130 million. But on their books, it's a $200 million rehabilitation liability. So even though they aren't actually doing any mining per se, they're reprocessing tailings, they're still on the hook for rehabilitating right. one of the world's largest zinc mines. And I don't think it's gonna be $200 million in the end. So you're really starting in negative territory here. Mm -hmm. um, that's why a few years of, of poor zinc prices has a huge impact on the MPV of this business. Okay. Um, nope. I, I'd also mention that we, we've recently upgraded South 32. I think South 32 is a wonderfully managed miner um, and it looks pretty cheap today. Okay. 
All right. Let's finish off with the, uh, the stocks uh, that has got all the headlines this morning completely out of the blue. NAB coming out with its latest results, a massive capital raise. I don't think it was due to report until the end of the week, did it? So it caught everyone by surprise before the opening. Um, Nathan, $300 million institutional raise. Three billion. Three billion. Yeah, three billion. Did I say million? Well, that's that's, <laughs> that's, that's the senior executive's lunch tab, I think, for the year. Uh, three billion fully underwritten institutional raise. 500 million for SVP, retail yeah. um, investors. Would you be buying it? Um, you know, I don't want to jump in front of Gaurav and say, this thing looks so ugly, you should buy it. Right. And it does look ugly. You've got a new CEO, you expect him to clean the decks. Um, he's, he's basically... He's done that. He's yep. done that <laughs> and he's going to bash it. Uh, he's cut the dividends, um, you know, I think it was down 30 or 40%. Yep. Um, so the dividends have been chopped. Um, they're raising a decent chunk. Um, he's smacked down the numbers, set the expectations pretty low. Um, this is probably the, um, I'd say, maybe a leading indicator to potentially ANZ raising. That's what the market's going to start thinking. Um, Westpac's already done it, more or less. Um, so in that context, it just tells you the bank sector is struggling. Uh, they're easy um, uh, you know, money getters in, uh, in foreign exchange, credit cards. They're all getting attacked by fintechs. Um, mortgage is going to be in trouble. Um, I know there's, you know, there's plenty of pundits on the paper talking about uh, property market holding up. Um, we're in the 90s cycle. We're, it's not going to fall apart. It's not going to fall 40% in one yep. year, yep. but it's going to do minus 10, minus 15% for about four or five years. Right. Uh, that's what happened in the 90s when you leverage up this much. Yep. It's just a deleveraging. So when we have that kind of cycle, banks are not going to do great. In the 90s, banks didn't do great. So. Um, do I want to buy banks? No, but if I had to buy banks, I might as well buy the ugly one. And NAV has done nothing in 20 years. If you look, strip out the dividends, it's gone nowhere. Right. So it just looks ugly in every aspect, yep. but it has a better exposure to business than the rest and probably less to yep. property rather than someone like a CBA or Westpac. Yep. So, you know, if I had to buy the ugly house, you know, I'd rather buy NAV. So right. I'm happy to buy it because it looks ugly. Okay. All right. Um, you're happy to buy it. Okay, Gaurav? Yeah, this is a tricky one. Um, I'm surprised to see such a large cap raise. I think some people were expecting one. I, I thought they may have used their um, DRP and cut dividends. I mean, the cap, cap, tier one capital ratio was actually pretty solid going into this. Um, and they've raised a whole heap of capital now. While they did that, they also increased um, their provisions by a mm. huge margin as That's well. Right. I don't think they've increased it by enough. I think it's still um, below where you'd expect it to be at this point in the cycle. So there's probably more provision raisings to come. Um, and there's just so many structural problems with the banks, really. Um, I mean, Nathan's um, sensibly outlined some of the um, competitive new, com new competition that they have to deal with. I'm not really enthralled with banks, but I have to admit, uh, this is this is ugly. It looks really bad. There's a new CEO who's just cleaned up, and if you know, this is about as good as time as any, really. Um, I mean, we won't be buying it in our fund, um, and we don't own any NAB, but I can understand the attraction of buying at this mm. point. Uh, I probably wouldn't do it myself. Though. Okay, so if you're an existing shareholder, you've got the share purchase plan. Would you take advantage of that, or is it throwing good money after bad? 
Yeah, in the current environment, there's just there's actually quite a bit of um, interesting stuff to look at, um, and we've been buying quite a bit actually um, at the moment um, at the last month or so. So, is this worthy of your dollars? I guess it depends on your risk profile. Um, I mean, the dividend has been slashed, um, but they will still pay a dividend, and that's a lot more than than most businesses yeah. at the moment will, will do. So, I guess if if you're there's a type of investor for whom this would be quite attractive, and for that kind of investor, it might make sense. If you're trying to maximize your return, um, I don't think this is the uh, raising for you. Nathan, if you're an existing shareholder? Yeah, if you're a retail investor, um, you're an existing shareholder, I still wouldn't jump in because there's better options, as Gaurav said. There's a lot of good options out there. Um, but if you're a fund manager, you have to hold X percentage in all these sectors. Right. For them, oh, okay. these kind of raisings are the time to right. counter their underperformance okay. because you can average down your price because it's it's unlikely to go down too far to that price. Yeah. It'll drop a bit and then they'll come in and buy it and it'll come back up. So, you know, what you got there, you already got that premium you've, performance. You've built the profit. Exactly. In, so for a fund bonus. manager, yep. it is going to be helpful. So if, you know, if you're a retail investor and you're given SPP, just to you know, play the fund manager game, take the SPP, sell it on the market. Right. Okay. Because you'll get a shot. It's not going to fall apart. They're not going to go bust. The government right. backs it. It's a cartel. Yeah. I mean, seriously. You know, yes, they're bad, but it's ugly. Yeah. But it's not going to go broke. Yeah. So even if it's a crash, the banks will be there. But you're not going to get great returns out of no, it at all. No, it's a short-term trade. All right. Okay. So um, a no for NAB, yeah. I would say uh, it was... Uh, capital killers for a number of years, the big four banks going forward. But uh, it did, I agree with Gorov and, and Mathan agrees too, the, the amount of write-offs, I think, uh, took everyone by surprise so early in this cycle going through. Um, all right, for the second half of the call, uh, the guys like Orica, No for Treasury, Freedom, New Century or NAB. Uh, gentlemen, thank you so much. Love having you on here. Matham from Blue Ocean Equities and Gaurav from InvestSmart. Uh, really appreciate your time on the call today. Have a good week. Thanks a lot. Thanks, um, same time tomorrow, just after midday Eastern for the call. If you want to send any suggestions for stocks for us to look at, the call at oddsbiz.com.au. Coming up.